Two weeks ago, uh, Steve Spence started us off with a series called Walking in the Spirit. And we are looking at how when we walk in the Spirit, there is fruit in our lives that become evident that mark us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so with that, we got to go over and review these fruit because coming up soon is Catalyst. And this series that we're going through is going to lead up right into Catalyst. So that's a quick snippet. If you haven't signed up for Catalyst yet, you should do that. Okay. So uh, for those of you who have a Bible, and I really, really hope that you have a Bible with you. If not, it's okay. It'll be on the screen. But we're going to mostly be camped in Colossians 1. So you guys can go ahead and turn there, and I'm going to just keep rolling. But go ahead and turn to Colossians 1. And so when we started this series called Walking in the Spirit, there is a theme verse that we're looking at because it gives us the fruit that we are trying to talk about. And so that verse is simply this, Galatians 5.22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's perfect. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So like I said, if you remember back two weeks ago or aka 14 years ago, we started this series called Fruit of the Spirit. Steve really broke it down with an incredible, incredible analogy or illustration for us. Do you guys remember it? He brought up an orchid and a Christmas tree. And sometimes in our lives, as believers or as Christians or as people who are trying to follow Christ, what we tend to do is live as if we're like a Christmas tree. When it comes to Christmas time, you go down on the tree, you chop, or you go down the tree, you go on the farm, chop down the tree, right? And you bring it home and you decorate it, you make it look all pretty. And a lot of times we live our lives that way as Christians where we're trying to clean ourselves up and we're trying to say, okay, Lord, here's, here's my life, aka this tree, and I'm going to put joy on today, or I'm going to put love on today, or this season of my life, I'm going to lean into goodness and faithfulness and whatever it may be. But really, that is not how that works at all. Instead, we are, we are dead when we live like that. Uh, we are not rooted in something, and that something would be Jesus Christ. And so a lot of things about these fruit students is that they take time to develop, but they are given to you. And it's like an orchid. And if you've ever tried to grow a plant before, some of you probably are like, yes. And some of you are saying, no way, because I can't keep a plant alive. But regardless, your life is supposed to be like an orchid that slowly blooms and grows, and that fruit becomes evident over time. So the fruit that we see right here in Galatians 5.22 is something that we cannot attach to our lives externally, like us attaching ornaments to a Christmas tree. But rather, this fruit is exactly what you think it is. It is literally fruit. It grows internally, and it is a product that is spiritual. And so, students, the first thing on your seat is we are identifiable by the fruit of our lives. You and I, those who call ourselves believers, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we are identifiable, it says, through Galatians 5.22, that we should be identified by the fruit of joy, patience, peace, all the above. So, when you read fruit... One thing I want us to be very clear of on a quick recap of what this is, is that when you read fruit, it should be noticed that fruit here is singular, is not plural, meaning that all believers are given all of these fruits. Now, there may be some that you're like, hey, it's clearly evident that this person is marked by joy more so than others, but just because you're a joyous person doesn't mean you're not a loving person, or you shouldn't be a loving person. You should be growing in all these areas. It's not like the spiritual gifts Sometimes they get kind of confused. The spiritual gifts are given variously throughout the church. That some people are good in these things and some people are gifted in these for the betterment of the church. No, we are all given all of this fruit. So don't tell me you're joyous, but not loving. You should be both, all right? So if Jesus Christ really lives in each one of us, then as believers, there will be fruit to prove it. 
And not just one, but all will be prevalent. We good? That's a quick recap right there. So this fruit in our life is not produced by your commandment. Therefore, you can't just say, Evan Beshel, be joyous today, and you're magically just going to be joyous. No, it's not given by my command or law, but it is produced by life rooted in the Spirit, and that Spirit is given by Jesus Christ. So, like the orchid plant that blooms from life, so should our lives bloom in the Spirit. So with that, let's look at our first fruit tonight. We're going to be looking at peace and patience tonight. And I'm very excited about this because, let's be honest, we are horrible at both of these things in our generation. Uh, Believe it or not, I am a part of your generation. We are horrible at peace and patience. So, everyone, if you're at Colossians 1, give me a head nod. We're all there. Perfect. Awesome. That's great. Colossians 1, starting in verse 9, it reads, "For For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. I love this passage. This is great. So our first fruit is peace. And so when it comes to peace, I have a few goals for us tonight. I want us to understand that when it comes to this idea or this fruit of peace, I want us to look at what is it. So we're going to find out what is peace, why is peace needed, where is it found, and why does it matter? That's where we're going for this fruit. And so with that, we got to start off with what is it? What are we talking about when we say peace? Because we live in a day and age where peace is not easily found. So when we talk about peace and fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, it is the peace that comes from knowing who God is. And it is the peace that comes from knowing that my account, your account, has been settled. And that my debt, your debt, has been paid all because of what Jesus has done and who he is. So in essence, I'm going to break it down real quick. The first thing is that peace is peace with God. That is what we're talking about. There's three ways we're looking at with this fruit. That one is peace with God. We're looking at how you have, are supposed to be in a peaceful, right relationship with the Father that ultimately designed you. And then secondly, we're looking at peace with others. That is what we're talking about here. Paul in Romans references it a lot when he says that we should be living at peace with everyone, that we should not find ourselves blameless before anyone. Um, We should be at peace with others. I think that's where we struggle the most. And then third is peace within. This is a peace, as Philippians 4, 6 through 8, I believe, says, that a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is something that is inner, and it is something that we can barely begin to describe, but I'm going to try my best because that's exactly where we're going to rest for most of the night tonight. So that is what peace is. It's peace with God, peace with others, peace within. And yes, there's a lot more definitions for peace, but this is where we're heading. And so we have to figure out then why is this peace, these three things, why is it even needed in our world today? So first, I think it's pretty clear if you just look around, turn on the news, or as our generation does, we just go to Twitter when we want to find out what's happening in this world. And you can find out that our world is demonstratively lacking in peace. If you really think about it, I could give a million examples, but if you really, really think about it, we have been at war as human beings since the dawn of time. I mean, we really have. 
Ever since we messed up, we have been at war, whether it's from people groups or nations, whatever have you. Europe specifically has been ground zero for wars or talks of wars for hundreds of years at this point, and that has shifted slowly towards the Middle East, but still, Europe's still a big part of that. So we have been at war, so that shows how we as a human race are at a global, we are not globally at peace with each other. And then, secondly, there is a conflict that you and I experience on a daily level both within relationships that you and I have, right? So, for instance, who here has ever hurt somebody, physically or emotionally? Yeah, who here has ever been hurt by someone? A lot more hands go up on that question, I see. Yeah, right? So, you and I experience a daily conflict, both with people and then within ourselves. And conflict, students, has been introduced in this world ever since Cain started to resent Abel all the way back in Genesis. We don't have time for that story. It's a great read. I highly encourage you to go back. But... There are several other reasons why peace is needed, but secondly, the main thing that I think of why we, on a personal level, need peace is that there is a stress and a spirit of anxiety that just resides, not just within our our generation, it's within the world, but primarily within our generation. Um, We are stressed and anxiety-ridden for multiple reasons, because without peace, this inner peace that just surpasses all understanding in our lives You and I are going to be stressed about the questions of life, questions about the universe, and ultimately questions of who I really am or who you really are. What have I been created for? What is my purpose? Why am I here? All those questions, you're going to ravel through life if you don't find an answer because you don't have a piece that's anchored to something. So that got pretty deep. So let's look at how the Bible addresses the constant stress and conflicts that we see in our world and ourselves. Right, so the Bible says, this is what the Bible does. Whenever we read it, it examines us like a good physician, and we like to shy away from it sometimes because it's showing us exactly what we need. And the Bible says that by nature, you and I, we are separated from God. You and I are separated from the God who created us, who designed us to be in a right relationship with him, a peaceful relationship with him, and because of that, there is conflict just personally and globally for every single human being. And then secondly, the Bible says that you and I are in bondage to our own sinful desires. I don't think I have to commit you too far to say that at some point in your life already, whether you're 15, 16, 17, however old you're in here, there's come a point in your life where you have slipped into your fleshly desires, where you have done something that you know you should not have done. You know it has crossed your morals. You and I are in bondage outside of Christ to our own sinful desires. And then thirdly, the Bible says that conflict with God others and ourselves is exactly why there is no peace. There is a conflict between God, you, you and the Lord. It's a conflict between you and me as individuals, and there is a conflict within ourselves because we are in desperate need of a Savior. And so I think Isaiah 57 verses 20 through 21 is a great little illustration that kind of, it just knocks it out of the park for me. It says, but the wicked, and that would be you and I, because we are at nature separated from God. It says, The wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its water churns up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. Um, I grew up at the beach in the summers, 
and I have been on a boat uh, with my dad specifically, but I have been where one day you're grilling, having a great time on an island, and you're having the best burger of your life, and then 20 seconds later you get on that boat, and the wind changes, and then something just slightly changes in the current, and the entire boat and you yourselves, you're starting to, you're starting to throw up, you're getting seasick, all because the sea just churns and it turns, and that's exactly what our lives are like. Um, your lives are never going to be exactly the same. They're never going to be exactly on the same path. There's going to be times where you're going to get tossed around like the waves, and that is what the Bible is warning us of. So my quick question to you to reflect on throughout the night is, have you, as a high school student living in Memphis, Tennessee, have you been able to find peace in your life? Have you ever been able to find an inner peace that you can just hold on to and anchored to without being tossed and turned by the waves? And that's something that I think we all kind of struggle with when we think about it. Because the Bible makes it clear, ladies and gentlemen, that our greatest need is to come to peace with God, and we need to come into a right relationship with him. So we know what it is. We know why we need it. Where, then, can this peace that you and I both desperately need be found? And ultimately, I'm not trying to Jesus juke you, but sometimes Jesus is the answer. It's found in God himself. Because you see, this peace that we are talking about is not found in a program or a philosophy, but this peace is found in a person. It is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. In John 14, it's an incredible chapter. Please go read it. But in John 14, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's pretty much saying, hey, fellas. Like he's literally like talking to them. He's saying, fellas, all the things that I have been teaching you, all the things that I have done, all the things that I will do, that I have been sent for, they are all to show you that in me, in me, Jesus is saying, in me, you might have peace. And I don't know if you realize that. That is a radically just wild statement for Jesus to make. No one in history up to that point had done it. No one in history has done it since to say that in me, a person, obviously we know he's fully God and fully man, but in me, you have peace. We find it nowhere else in the world. Give a quick example. I can't break it down, obviously. Maybe in apologetics you can, but in if you just look at the world religions, not a single other world religion can give you an answer for, they can give you an answer for short-term peace and rest, but they cannot give you an answer for peace eternally, let alone peace in one person or a prophet or whatever world religion you're looking at. No other world religion can do that. The peace that we need as people is found in Jesus Christ. It really is. And so therefore, students, if you are outside of Christ, meaning you have never trusted the Lord as your Savior, and you are not not only a believer, but you are not an active disciple of him, um, it becomes very clear that when you're outside of Christ, there is no peace within your life. And those who would call ourselves believers in the room, or disciplers more so, I would say, whoever calls themselves that in this room, you, whether you realize or not, you have a peace that resides in you, you just have to reflect and really think about it. You have a peace that resides in you only because I am his and he is mine. I have a peace that I know exists in my life, even though I have no answers to my next step's future, or I may have no answers to this relationship that's coming my way. I have no answers for this or that, but I know that I can trust and I can trust the faithfulness of the God, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, because he sits on the throne and he is eternally secure over all those things because I am his and he is mine. So this is why we read from Colossians 1, because in Colossians 1, we're going to break down on what basis 
is this random Galilean carpenter coming across the scene and saying, in me, you may find peace. Like, what really gives him the basis for that? And so Paul writes, starting in verse 15, um, he writes it pretty clear. And he says, as it picks up right here, verse 15 says, he is the image, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, being Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul makes it pretty clear in Colossians 1 in those last five verses that we just read, students, that this peace that we are in search of is essential to our lives. It is a spiritual peace, and it is an eternal peace. And I'm so thankful for that last part. It is an eternal peace. Listen, students, my life And your life is like an ocean being tossed and turned by the seas. Because I have and you have been alienated from the God who made me to have a relationship with himself. And at our very human nature, as long as that conflict remains, the separation between you and God, myself and God, as long as that conflict remains, we are enemies against God. And to quote, this is is something I picked up from a wise pastor once talking about peace. Uh, back in the 60s, there was this band, you may have heard of them, they're called the Beatles. Uh, I love the Beatles. Yes, and they have this song, and I think it exactly speaks to what they were trying to search for in the 60s and the 70s. And it pretty much just goes like this, help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, I need someone. Help, that is exactly the, their famous chorus. I know, I see some of you giggling. I know it's a funny, funny analogy, but seriously, that's what they're trying to get at. They're trying to find this help. So I ask you, and, and the great theologians of the Beatles, I ask you, have you ever cried out to God or really Jesus in that manner where you've asked for his help? And not just help to pass a test, but have you asked for his help, for peace and salvation and a path that is straightforward and clear to walk because you are following after him? Because I will be the first to tell you, students, I really will be the first to tell you, because I ran from it for most of my life, that this God, this God that we find in this Bible, extends grace and peace to the rebellious. And guess what? That's you and me. We are the rebellious. We are the rebellious because in Jesus, he bore the penalty of our sins so that we may enjoy the peace he provides. And I think if you've never read the chapter of Isaiah 53, I, pr- I encourage you to go read it tonight or read it tomorrow. I highly encourage you to read Isaiah 53 because, first off, this passage was written hundreds of years before, and it perfectly describes who Jesus is, which is mind-blowing. That's another study for yourself, little snippet there. But Isaiah 53, 3 through 6, exactly portrays what Jesus did for us to bring us peace. It reads, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from, He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, 
crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are all healed by his wounds. Thank you, Jesus. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. So, Jesus really bore the penalty of your sin, which is just what's separating from you, from you and the Lord. Your sin, he bore that so that you and I can have a lot of things, yes, but you and I may have peace. So, with all that being said, why on earth does this peace even matter? Because one day, students, um, believe it or not, you are not eternal, so one day you are going to die. <laughs> and when you do, you and I are going to come to face-to-face with the God who gave us an opportunity for peace and of peace within our lives. And if you and I have rejected this peace, on what basis do you believe that it will be granted to you that you will be in eternity? If you have never accepted Jesus Christ and the Prince of Peace and what he brings, what basis do you think you are going to be settling in eternity? That is a postmodern thought. A lot of people think right now, especially, that if I just go through my life, live it how I want, once I die, all bets are off. Well, bets are not all off when it comes to eternity. That is a mockery of the Bible, and it is a mockery of the death that Jesus Christ bore for us on the cross. That is not how it works, students. Even though there's going to be millions of voices, maybe not right now, but at some point in your life, they're going to come at you and say that your faith doesn't matter because in the end, it's not, it, it doesn't matter. But you can say, bets are not all off in eternity. And you and I have a choice because he made it available to us by his death on the cross, as pointed out in Colossians 1. And God respects your free will so much. He respects your choice. He does not force you to come to him I, I can be a testament of that. He does not force you to come to him. But I would say if you choose to reject this peace in your life for whatever reason, I would honestly encourage you then to live your life then, look around, and honestly, good luck finding this peace anywhere else in this world because it's not there. It really is not there. So as much as I would love to honestly just sit there, but we also have to cover patience, all right? So that's peace, and we're going to come back to it. But I want us to look at patience and I'm going to be honest, students, um, sorry, I'm going to be honest, patience might be, I was talking with Steve about this yesterday, patience might be one of the most easily, like, difficult and convicting things that I, myself, and I think really a lot of people can just teach on, especially to high school students, because when we were thinking about it, patience is something that comes over time. It really does. And so I'm going to try my best um, but as someone who's a part of your generation, I, I mean, we were kind of like the guinea pigs of this, and then we have led you into this notion, whether it's through technology, social media, whatever reason you want to give, that we want instant gratification, and patience is the antithesis of that. It does, it does, that does not work well together. So this is something that I struggle with, and I know for sure many of you, and if you're honest with yourself, all of you at some point are struggling with. So there's many aspects to patience. But I'm going to try to focus on just two, just for tonight. And then if you want to talk about it more, come see me and we'll talk about patience another time. I promise. I'd love to do. So first, patience means that I, you, realize that I am not perfect myself. If we're ever going to learn what patience is, you got to realize that you're not perfect. Because when you realize you're not perfect, it gives you room to grow in patience with others and situations and all that. And I'm going to make that pretty clear, hopefully, in the next few minutes. So, a great verse. I think on your notes it says it's 1 Peter. It's actually 1 Timothy. 
I apologize for that. So if you want to cross out Peter, it is 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. This is Paul talking as he's writing to Timothy. It says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was, a formerly, I was a former blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Essentially what Paul is saying here, students, is that not one person in the Bible, except for Jesus Christ himself, is perfect. That's Romans 3.23. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you really think that you're perfect, I would love to meet you back there and we can talk about it and I can explain to you why I'm not perfect and you're going to be like, that. that's probably me too. So um, I'm, this is why, <laughs> if that's true, if you and I are not perfect, would anyone try to hear to admit that they're perfect? Great, not a single hand went up. We're on a good start, right? So if you and I are not perfect, then it should be true that how on earth can you and I judge or be impatient with others? How wrong and convicting it is to be impatient with... Sorry, this one hits home. How wrong and convicting it is to be impatient with someone or something or some situation, knowing in the back of our minds the patience that the Lord has for us. I want to explain this with a quick story, uh, explaining how... It really, when you really start to think about the, the patience that the Lord has for you and then how quickly impatient we are, hopefully this kind of brings that home. Uh, about a month ago, my dad was getting remarried over the Christmas holiday, and it was a great time. And I had to fly out of Memphis Airport. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm not a fan of the Memphis Airport, and I'll explain why. I, yeah, it's crazy. It is. It's nuts, right? And so my flight was super early in the morning because... Of course, that's the flight that I booked. And my flight was super early in the morning. And the, day, the next day, we were going to have my dad's wedding. And the flight's super early in the morning. And I realized I have to get up so early. But Elena, our other M, one of our other MAs, she also realized, hey, I have an early flight home that morning. And Emily was driving home. So she was like, hey, why don't we all just ride together? I'll drop you off at the airport. And then I'll drive home to Nashville, uh, Nashville, Georgia, not Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and so, um, so, so we're like, great, that's fantastic. We don't have to leave our cars at the, at the parking lot, whatever. We go to the Memphis airport. I don't know if you've ever been to the Memphis airport prior to 3 a.m. It is a war zone. It is like the worst. I, I grew up going to Chicago Hare Airport every single year, multiple times, which is one of the biggest and most crazy airports in the world. It doesn't compare to the three hours that is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. at Memphis Airport. It is chaos. We arrive, we open the door, and I am, I am not kidding. Elena is my witness. After 10 seconds, I lost Elena. I have no idea where she is. There are so many people there. I'm, I'm going to places in the airport that I didn't know existed and I probably shouldn't be at. Um, I had no idea where to go. I finally find the line, check my bag. Time is ticking forever. Everything's speeding up. I'm getting frustrated. I got to make my flight. Everything's freaking out. I'm starting to really lose it. And then next thing you know, I'm like, okay, I got through. I got to the security line. There is one person working the security line, man. And I mean, we are just moving at the pace of a snail. It is the worst thing ever. I can't stand it. I'm losing my patience. I'm getting frustrated. And I'm sure everyone in the line of the security was saying, hey, that's that Evan Betchel guy, a member of Bellevue Baptist Church. He's perfectly exemplifying what patience and peace is. Um, there's no way they were thinking anything else because um, by the look on my face, you could just tell I was a happy soul. Um, but I get, finally get through security. I'm like, I literally hear on the thing that it's the last call for my flight. Uh, so I, I'm, have you ever seen Home Alone? You ever seen Home Alone? You know that scene in the beginning of the Chicago, Air, 
Chicago O'Hare Airport where they are sprinting through with like 18 people trying to make this flight. That was me, and I, it, was, it was the worst. So I'm sprinting, I'm running, I'm trying to catch up, and sure enough, I get there, and I'm instantly reminded of my impatience because I see a student of ours, his name was, his name's Yovani, and Yovani's just sitting there. This, first off, what a dog. Secondly, he's sitting there, and he comes up, he goes, hey, Besh, big smile on his face. He's like, traffic was crazy, but man, I'm just glad we're here. I'm excited for my trip. Like, he's just this joyous, patient, peace-loving guy. And I'm sitting here, and I'm just like, I just was humbled instantly because in the flicker of a moment, I went from excited to going to Miami and all this stuff to go see my dad and do a wedding and go on a cruise within Literally 30 minutes, I was so impatient and so frustrated, and it was the worst. So if God can watch us destroy ourselves and his creation and patiently sit back, now he's holding all things together, but he patiently sits back, you and I can do the same when things don't go to plan, like when you try to do the, don't, just don't do the Memphis airport early in the morning. That's my moral of the story, I guess. So you and I, we are, in our patience, we are to reflect the peace that you have, that I have inside, provided by the Spirit. And so patience, there's a lot of things you can say about patience, but the second thing is this. Patience is the outflow, I would say, of, of that inner peace that surpasses all understanding. Patience is the outflow of that inner peace. And so if peace, true inner peace, students, means that all is right because of knowing who God is and belonging to him, Impatience reflects inner turmoil, or better put, it really reflects the absence of peace. When we are impatient, it really does, and it boils over, like me at the Memphis airport, it really resembles or reflects the absence of peace within a moment. And staying in Colossians 1, just going back a few verses, let's read, starting in verse 11 again. Paul writes, But being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance... And patience, if we are walking in the Spirit, we are to have great endurance and patience joyfully, like Ivani, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is something that uh, me and Steve were talking about a lot, is that God doesn't just give us patience. He gives us the power through the Spirit to have great endurance and patience. And he gives us the power to have an opportunity to do it, but what he doesn't do is just hand it to us. It's not like I woke up this morning and the Lord said, Evan Beschel, be joyous. Go and show, share joy with others. That's not how that worked at all. Like, it didn't just magically happen, right? But really, when we're walking the Spirit, we are given opportunities by God where you and I can step in. That's where we, that's where we take our step through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we are given opportunities to practice our patience. That's why patience comes in time, because it's almost, it's almost like a trial and error. Like, there's going to be times where you do really well, and sometimes you take three steps back. And that's just kind of how it goes, because in time it is developed. But you have patience through the Spirit. Some of you are looking at me wide-eyed, like there's no way I'm the most impatient person in the world. But I promise you, you really do. And students, you might be amazed at what God can do and where he may lead you when you peacefully wait rather than stress out and get angry. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, about a year ago, I was the most impatient, and I was not at peace. There was a lot of things going on in my life. And when I finally sat and said, Lord, 
would you help me? Where would you take me? Where am I going? Three days later, I got a call from Steve Spence to come work at Bellevue. And I know that's a very quick call. It doesn't always work that way. But I'm serious. You'd be surprised where the Lord would lead you. If you would have told me two years ago I'd be living in Memphis, Tennessee, working at Bellevue Baptist Church, I would have said that you are out of your minds. But you would be surprised at where the Lord leads you when you sit in a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so I, I've got good news. I've got good news for the person who has the unfulfilled longing for peace. And I have good news for the person who has the unanswered questions about death or life and the questions about destiny and even hope. All of those questions, all of that is answered through and in Jesus Christ. And it is the joyful reality. It, it, is, it is the joyful reality that encompasses the person who willingly comes to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, and will lay down the arms of their rebellion, of our rebellion, whoever comes to him, and who admit that in our way as human beings, that our intelligence that we so pride ourselves in has not provided what humans have truly hoped for. And it is those who will say, help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, I need someone. Lord Jesus, I need you. Will you please help me? It is in that humble approach of that person that it will blow you away because everyone who comes to Jesus in that manner never leave disappointed. And students, neither will you.